Romans chapter 14. I'll begin reading at verse 13 to the end of the chapter. If you're using a pew Bible, that can be found on page 1,128. Last week, we heard a sermon on Romans 14, verses 1 to 12. And the title of that sermon was, Welcome One Another. Love demands that we welcome one another both the weak in faith and the strong in faith. The weak in faith, we learned from the Apostle Paul, from Scripture, in the context here, that the weak in faith are those who are weak in conscience, in conviction, because of ignorance. And now that's not name-calling, it's just they lacked a knowledge and understanding, a fuller knowledge, a fuller understanding of how to practically live out the Christian life. They, like the strong in faith, were believers. They trust in the Lord. Paul calls them Christians, believers who are justified or made right before God by God's grace through faith in Christ. But they have a weak conscience. But Paul warns the weak in faith that they are dangerously close to works righteousness, that they are dangerously close to condemning the stronger one, the one who has a stronger conscience, who understands that they have freedom in Christ to eat and drink to the glory of God and to gratitude to God. The weak in faith are dangerously close to binding the conscience of the strong in faith with laws, man-made laws, or a misunderstanding of Old Covenant, the Old Testament, and the coming of Christ, the New Covenant. And so they are dangerously close to adding to God's Word and imposing laws upon the strong. Well, the strong in faith, the, the Apostle Paul says, are Christians, like the weak, they are Christians, but they believe and are persuaded, they're convinced in their conscience that they have liberty, freedom from man-made laws, from ceremonial religious laws, because by Jesus' death and resurrection, Jesus has put an end to that ritualism of abstaining from certain foods and drink. Well, we remember that the weak in faith here are, are somewhat different than the, the weak in faith in 1 Corinthians 8. The weak in faith in 1 Corinthians 8 were those who would not eat meat that are sacrificed to idols. But Paul doesn't say that here in Romans 14. In Romans 14, Paul simply says they just won't eat meat. They abstain from meat. Their conscience is weak, but the conscience of the strong is strong. Because for the strong, Jesus is the sum and substance of our faith, the object of our faith. Because their faith is gripped by the word of God and the freedom that they have in Jesus Christ. Food and drinks, alcoholic or non-alcoholic, meat or vegetarian eaters, whatever. For the strong are to be received in gratitude and thanksgiving to God, to the glory of God. But the weak in conscience didn't see it that way. But now we come to verse 13 and following. That was a recap from last week. We come to verses 13 and following. Let us now hear God's word. 
Therefore, let us not pass judgment on, any other, on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Thus far the reading of God's word made his blessing upon the preaching and teaching of it. Here at verses 13 to 23, Paul continues the theme of welcoming one another. This theme of welcoming one another actually began in chapter 13, verse 8, where we owe it to one another to love. And that love one another, love your neighbor as yourself, is manifested in the way that Christians welcome one another. And this theme of welcoming one another continues on through chapter 14 to chapter 15, verse 7, as they brought to our attention last week. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So Paul commits a substantial section here of what it looks like for the Christian community, both weak and strong in faith, to welcome one another in the Lord Jesus Christ to the glory of God. The goal here is the glory of God. The glory of God is manifested among the people of God when we learn to love one another by welcoming one another. So Paul continues his teaching to welcome one another, both the weak and the strong. In this sermon, in this section, the theme is love demands, love demands that we do not pass judgment on the weak or the strong believer in Christ. Love demands that we do not pass judgment I'm both the weak and the strong believer in Christ. We see in verse 13, look in your Bible, Therefore let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide to put a stumbling block, never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. We need to understand the meaning of this command first and foremost. What is the meaning of the command Again, therefore, let us not pass judgment on or literally condemn one another any longer, but rather decide. Now, interestingly, Paul uses a a wordplay here because the same word 
for judgment is used. It is used in the section here, therefore let us not pass judgment, do not judge or condemn one another, but rather decide, but rather judge, the same word, make a judgment to never cause a person to stumble or be a hindrance in the way of a brother. Do not judge or condemn your brother, but he uses the same word with a different meaning. Do not make a judgment or decide to make a judgment, rather, to never put a stumbling block or obstacle or a trap in the way of a brother. What's the meaning of this? What's the meaning of this? Notice how Paul says that both the weak and the strong are not to pass judgment. Both the weak and the strong are not to pass judgment. He, even, he doesn't exclude himself from this. Let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. So perhaps it was an issue there. It was occurring in some circles. Let me ask you a question. In our day, how often do you hear the phrase, don't judge me. Who are you to judge? Who are you to judge me? Don't judge her. Don't judge him. You've heard that before, I'm sure. From Christians and unbelievers. Don't judge me. What's Paul talking about here when he says, do not pass judgment or condemn a believer in Christ, the weak or the strong? What does he mean by that? Because elsewhere in Scripture, Paul says, especially to the Corinthians, that it's permissible by the church to judge. So is Paul in conflict with himself? That's why it's important to understand the meaning of the command. Don't pass judgment or condemn a believer in Christ, both weak and strong, because he practices the Christian faith in a way that differs from you. It has to do with matters of indifference. Matters of neither right nor wrong in the use of them. Eating meat or not eating meat. Drinking wine or not drinking wine. Clothing. Ties or t-shirts. Suits or shorts. Matters of indifference. Neither right or wrong in the use of them. So don't judge, Paul says, another believer as he practices his faith in a way that differs from you. If he doesn't eat or drink wine because he thinks they're unclean, let him follow his conscience, his religious conviction. If he observes special days because he thinks that they are more sacred than others, let him observe. If he abstains from certain foods or habits during the season of Lent, Hit home a little bit now. Let him go with his conscience. Matters of indifference. Matters of indifference. But what's not a matter of indifference is the person's conscience, which is the context which where Paul is going with this, which is why he gives the command, do not judge the strong or the weak brother or sister and the way they practice the Christian faith. When Paul says, do not judge or pass judgment or condemn one another, he is not referring, he is not referring, now listen carefully, that we don't judge at all. 
Listen, we make judgments all the time. <laughs> if your child sins, you're going to judge that behavior. You're going to call the child to repent. You're going to call the child to look to Christ. You're going to call the child out on sin. When the child says to you, don't judge me, Dad. Don't judge me, Mom. What are you going to say? Okay, I won't judge you. I'm going to back off now. No, you're going to deal with the sin because the sin has to do with the moral law. The church judges a person's rebellious and unrepentant heart. For example, if you're taking notes, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 speaks to this. Paul says at verse 9 to 13, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. Since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. Talking about one who claims to be brother but manifests by his life that he is rebelling against God's word, God's law. Paul says in verse 12 and 13, For what have I to do with judging outsiders? For they are unbelievers. They don't know differently. Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside, purge the evil person from among you. But this has to do with moral law. This is not the case in Romans 14. In our sermon text, this isn't the issue. It isn't the moral, a moral issue between the weak and the strong. But Paul is warning them not to make it a moral issue. So the meaning of the command is not to pass judgment or condemn a believer in Christ who practices, lives the Christian faith. Eats meat, doesn't eat meat. Observes certain days, doesn't observe certain days. And remember, the Sabbath day, the Lord's day, is part of the moral law of God. So we talked about that last week, which is different. But we are to be charitable to one another in these matters, which we come to now the essence of the command. The essence of the command. Paul says in verse 14 and 15, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. You see, the essence of the command is love. Paul here makes a strong case for the strong in faith. His faith rests in the finished work of Christ. Christ has set him free from the curse of the law. Christ is the fulfillment of the law, the fulfillment of the dietary laws, of the ceremonial laws, of the sacrificial laws. Christ is all in all. He is the substance of our faith the substance of our faith, and to make matters of food and drink and clothes and man-made traditions, to make much of it is to take away, take away from Christ and his work. 
Paul says here, nothing is unclean in itself. Yet he doesn't use his liberty as a license to offend the weaker brother or sister and to cause them to stumble. He doesn't use his strong faith and his practice of his faith as an obstacle for those who are weak in faith, that is, weak in conscience. Because he understands that the essence of the command is love thy neighbor as thyself. He will do what he can to love his brother or sister. Listen to what Paul says. <laughs> it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. The one who abstains is convinced in his mind that certain foods and drink are unclean. He thinks, that is, his conscience believes and is convicted of these things. And if he's convinced in his mind that it's unclean, then his conscience tells him that it's wrong to partake of the unclean thing that he thinks is unclean. Look with me at verse 5. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Now, for me, it begged the question. I don't know if it begs the question from you if you're thinking about this. But I'm going to throw this question out there. Is Paul a relativist? Maybe you haven't heard of the word relative. What's true for you is true for you, and what's true for that person is true for that person. It doesn't matter. Does Paul not care about the truth? No, he cares about the truth. He cares about the truth, but as we work through this passage, we'll see really what Paul is getting at when he concludes it with verse 23. But it's worth noting now that he is not being a relativist. Remember, keep the theme before you. He's talking about love demanding that we do not pass judgment or condemn one's practice of the Christian faith. Especially or because it's not related to the moral law. Paul says at verse 15, For if your brother is grieved, that is, if your brother literally is deeply distressed in his mind, extreme sorrow by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. What's the implication of this for you and me? How intentional are we as Christians before one another? How intentional? I made it the practice that depending on who I visit, where I go, what kind of people I'm around in terms of where they're at in faith, to decide how I'm going to live out my faith. If I go to somebody's house and I know the brother struggles with alcohol, I'm not going to say, hey, you want to have a beer with me? Okay, this is where the rubber meets the road, friends. Or even a seasoned Christian. There was a server who was waiting at, at a table and there were four couples there. 
And the server goes up to the table and says to the folks there, can I start you off with a glass of wine? And the lady said to the waiter, no, we're religious. See, you have the opposite side too. Let's not fool ourselves. Like I said last week, it's often the weak in faith who can become tyrants in the church. She's saying a couple things, isn't she? She's saying that's how every Christian ought to live. No, we're religious. No Christian, no upstanding Christian should drink alcoholic beverages. And she's imposing it on others as well. If by our action we cause a weak brother or sister to grieve or be deeply grieved in their conscience and spirit, then we have not loved him or her. Essentially, it all is about us and not about our fellow brother and sister. We need to be conscious. We need to be intentional in how we love one another in these matters of conscience. The strong believe and are persuaded that nothing is unclean and that they have liberty to eat and drink to the glory of God, but it is because they are strong in the Lord. Now listen carefully. It is because that they are strong in the Lord that they can abstain. You see? Yes, they have the freedom and liberty, but it's because they are strong in the Lord that they can abstain. Because they have their brother or sister's best interest in mind. So in a sense, love, that debt that we owe all people, because we never could stop paying the debt of love, love exceeds liberty. The strong brother, be patient. If you would have saw me when I was first a Christian, I think I made up more laws when I became a Christian than I, when I wasn't a Christian you hear what I'm saying? <laughs> but that's where discipleship comes in. That's where sitting on the word of God comes in for both strong and weak. Paul has warnings for the church. Thirdly, warnings to the church. Do not destroy one another. Do not destroy the work of God. Do not destroy one another, Paul says, by what you eat. Do not destroy one another for whom Christ died. Is there any more <laughs> justification or a stronger argument that Paul can give? It is possible for the strong to use their liberty to destroy or ruin a brother or sister in faith that they violate their own convictions. Oh, and by the way, Christ died for the weak. Remember that. Christ died for you and died for the weak. Remember that. So do not let, Paul says, what you regard as good to be spoken of as evil. Now this is a somewhat a compli more complicated verse here because what does Paul refer to by the good? Is he referring to that good Christian liberty? 
Is he referring to salvation? Is he referring to grace? Is he referring to Christ? What is he talking about? Good. And be spoken of as evil. By whom? By believers or unbelievers? By the world? It seems that the gospel of salvation, the freedom that we have in Christ, both Christian liberty that is found in the gospel of salvation, the good will be spoken of as evil because the ways in which the strong become a stumbling block to the weak. And the world sees that the people of God can't live together in unity and harmony. Don't destroy, don't bring to ruin the conscience of the weak for whom Christ died. Where the church then becomes like the world or looks like the world. Wow, they can't even get it together. Why should we? <laughs> There's no peace there. They keep bickering and fighting about eat meat and vegetables. I'm fine with both. <laughs> Paul warns them, do not destroy one another. And do not destroy the work of God. God is doing a work in the weak and the strong. He is sanctifying them by his word and spirit. Don't get in the way. Don't bring to ruin the person's conscience to the point where their convictions are in turmoil. Again, we're going to get to this at the conclusion as I bring this all together. The purpose of the warning to the strong and the weak to remind us that we ultimately sin against God when we use our liberty to trump love. Or when we use, the weak use their laws and impose them upon the strong. 1 Corinthians 10, Paul says, All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Notice, build up as opposed to destroy or bring to ruin. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. And then you have this fourth point, the characteristics of God's kingdom. Because th these verses, 17 through 19, are the center of this passage. The kingdom of God is righteousness and peace and joy in the spirit. Kingdom living Therefore, it doesn't have as its essence material objects like food and drink or, or days and years on the calendar. Each believer is a servant of Christ in Christ's kingdom. Each servant who pleases, is pleasing to God is one who lives in righteousness, in peace, and in joy of the Spirit. A righteousness that comes from God through faith in Christ. A peace that comes through Christ and the cross, reconciling us to the Father, reconciling us to one another. A joy in the Spirit. Biblical joy is a joy that expresses itself in victory, a victory in Jesus. That's the kingdom of God. It's not food, drink. It's not days, years. It's not clothes. When these characteristics of, king, of the kingdom of God are practiced in the community of faith, 
There's the making of peace and the building up of the body and not destroying or bringing ruin. And then, Christ's servants are not only approved by God and accepted by Him, but they are approved by men. And now Paul wraps it up with the conscience of the Christian. This is where, this is the, this is where he brings it all together. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. He repeats himself. He wants you to know this. Now listen carefully. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. If you have liberty to eat and drink and you are in the presence of the weak in faith, keep that between yourself and God. Live intentionally before one another. Before Paul says, blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself. You see, the question changes now. Or the command changes from passing judgment to one another to whether you pass judgment on yourself because your conscience is the one that will pass judgment on you or me. Blessed is the one or happy is the man who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves, but whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. That is, he who is weak in faith must not eat and drink against his conscience. And so strong in faith, do not press your convictions of conscience upon the weak so that they partake of it against their conscience. That's an important point that Paul is making here because they are then partaking with doubt. Ooh, should I eat it or not eat it? Should I do this or not do that? Oh, I don't know what to do. I think I'll have it. I think I'll do it. I think I'll go along with my peers on this one. For Paul says, whatever is not done in faith is sin. Are you following me on this? So we can impose our conscience upon another person's conscience. And if they go against their conscience and do something that they know they're convinced not to do, they are violating their conscience. When they should be doing it willingly and in a conscience that's convinced by the word of God. Not by human man-made precepts. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. The weak in faith can abstain and do it in faith and not sin. But when they eat with a troubled, doubting conscience, that's when sin occurs. And so it's a matter of the conscience. A matter of the conscience. And we need to be cognizant of this as we relate to one another, knowing that in God's house, God's people 
who live in God's kingdom, as citizens of God's kingdom, we are to live in unity and peace with one another. And when we learn to understand what Paul's saying here, greater peace, greater unity occurs. I want to conclude with this. An unknown author once said, and this is under points of application, I have the quote here, in all things essential, unity, in all things doubtful or indifferent, liberty, in all things charity. In all things essential, unity, in all things doubtful or indifferent, liberty, in all things charity or love. The essential things are the biblical theological truths that we embrace, matters of life and death. Those are what needs to be embraced. Who is Jesus? Who is God? How do we know God? How do we know salvation that he provides full and free? Love demands the truth, delights in the truth, and we must know the truth. Today the argument is doctrine divides. Well, that's the problem with the church today saying that doctrine doesn't matter. No, it does and absolutely matters. In, all, in things essential like doctrine and truth, unity, we need that. In fact, doctrine does divide in a sense. It divides the true church from the false church. In matters of indifference, there's liberty. Different churches or individual Christians will differ on matters of food, alcohol, dress code, selection of hymns or psalms. In matters of meat or vegetable only. And I think here, the Western world has a bit of difficulty with this because it's hard for us to relate. Most of us like our meat. Especially if you're from DeMont. But if you go to a Hindu country, or a country where Hinduism is practiced, you'll find Christians abstaining from beef. Because in Indian tradition, the cow is sacred. The cow is sacred. And so when you have new Christians coming out of Hinduism, it's hard for a conscience of a Christian from India to eat beef. Or how about the Middle East? Someone who comes from Islam. Pork would be hard for a former Islam person, former Muslim, to embrace the freedom we have in Christ to eat pork. And so these are questions for missionaries and church planters in foreign lands. How do you walk alongside and disciple That's where in all things, charity or love. Love delights in the truth. Love builds up the body of Christ. It doesn't destroy or bring to ruin the weak. And so love your neighbor as yourself means to love enough to intentionally avoid placing obstacles in the way of another Christian, another person's conscience, and discipleship, training in the word of God, being under the word of God, the preaching and teaching of it. So that your worldview, your conscience is gripped, transformed by the word. 
so that the weak then become strong in conscience. And this involves discipleship. It involves time and patience with one another. Because, friends, God is doing a work of grace in the weak and the strong. Remember, God is doing the work. For he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. For the strong and the weak, remember that. Don't get in the way of him. If you're in the habit of neglecting worship or neglecting sitting under preaching and teaching, sitting under the gospel ministry, then make it a priority because that's where the Spirit of God works through the Word of God to teach and equip and train you to be a servant of Christ. Bible study, Sunday school, catechism, the purpose of discipleship. To train your conscience, develop your conscience that becomes strong and to be used to the glory of God and for the good of the people of God and even your neighbor. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, we thank you for your grace and mercy in Christ. That you are doing a work in us. Help us, O oh Lord, to be convinced of the things of your word. That we will be strengthened in faith, strengthened in faith, hope, and love. Teach us, O oh Lord, what it means that Christ died for us. Teach us what it means that how we are to live our faith in light of the fact that Christ died for us and how we are to treat and minister to one another. O oh, Father, be glorified in your people and in the life of your church. May we be strengthened by grace. As we look to you, Lord Jesus.